Coming to you live. Live. And podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast. Guaranteed to tickle your real estate loving ear holes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with the Best Deal Ever Show. On today's episode, I'm joined by my good buddy, Lex Levengrad. Lex, how you doing, man? Fantastic. How you doing, Ken? Good, man. I bet you are having much better weather than we are down there. You're in Boca Raton, right? Yep, definitely having better weather than you right now. Oh my gosh, we're getting flooded out right now. I got my lake flowing into my basement. You're probably sitting in 75 degree temperatures, exactly. sipping That's pina coladas. Yep. Is it really? Yeah, but we're not, we're not sipping pina coladas. I got vitamin water, second best. <laughs> it's, just, it's just as good. Nice. Now, so tell folks what you do. I know you got a pretty thriving business down there. What's, what sort of market, what sort of model do you guys do? So basically we have uh, 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 two businesses really. We've got a house buying business where we buy houses and we fix them, we flip them, we, we fix them, we rent them. We also wholesale them. We have a pretty big buyers list for that. And then in addition to that, we also have a real estate training and education business where we teach new investors how to wholesale and fix and flip and buy and hold real estate. Nice. And how long, how long have you guys been doing it down there in South Florida, the buying and the fixing? So basically, and I've been investing in Florida real estate since 2003. And then in 2008, we opened up the real estate education and training. We did our first boot camp in May of 2009. And we're going now on uh, our 11th year of uh, training and our 17th year of being in the wow. business. Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, um, doesn't your training sort of feed the flipping business as well? It does. It does. Because what, what happened is we had this thing called the partnership program. So what we do is we essentially teach people how to be bird dogs and how to locate deals and bring them to us. And then what we do is we um, offer them funding, transactional funding to flip those houses to buyers. And we even partner up with our own cash buyers so that if they get a deal under contract, but they don't have a buyer's list or they don't have the cash, we basically fulfill a deal uh, for them. So that definitely nice. feeds into to it. Also, our coaching students have become a lot of our wholesale deals turn into purchases for our, our coaching students that are looking for fix and flips as well. That's a man. That, it's a great combination. We've done a little bit of that in Atlanta as well. We've brought on some students, but it's become a great source of deals for us and we partner with them and we fund them. And it's at those right. two models work hand in hand really well together. Definitely do. Yeah. So what does your volume look like these days? So we're doing about 180 deals a year and um, wow. a lot of those, that. Yeah, but a lot of those deals are JV deals because what happens because of our partnership program and our students, we've got students that are submitting deals to us and then we're putting them out. A lot of wholesalers also come to us and say, hey, you got a pretty big buyers list. Do you mind putting your deals out to us? So gotcha. the vast majority of our deals are um, JV deals. When, yep. when I'm talking about that volume, the, the, the deals that we personally fix and flip, we're doing around 30, 35 a year on, on fix and flips. Gotcha. Uh, again, that's a beautiful model. Just let somebody bring you the deal. And then what do you split 50-50 when you, when well, you co-wholesale? So, so it depends. When we do it with our partnership program students, so the deal is 50-50. They find the deal. We find the buyers. We fund it. We walk through the whole title step to close. That's just a 50-50 deal. But on wholesalers, it just depends on the wholesaler because, you know, I got guys in my mastermind, as an example, who'll say, hey, I just got a house under contract in your area. If you find me a buyer, what are you going to charge me? And I'll say, oh, five grand, let's say, right? So I do a ton of deals at three to five. So most on our wholesale deals that we have direct, our spread is typically around 15,000. On a fix and flip, it's about 30,000. But on a JV deal, 
it's as low as three to five thousand. So in other words, if someone's got a house under contract, we'll put it out to our list. If they're willing to pay us five grand, we can probably move that deal very quickly. Gotcha. So that's that's that that's the volume of those, you know, uh, 15, 20 deals a month. Absolutely. Yeah. And for somebody that went out there and found the deal, that doesn't feel too painful to pay three to five. You find a buyer that's probably willing to pay premium for it if you've got a strong buyer's list. And I think it also depends on the source, because if you're a guy who's spending 20 grand or 30 grand a month in direct mail marketing, and you're not, you, you need to make 15 or 20 spread on your deal for it to pay. So, so um, that might be a little bit uh, um, difficult for you to split that deal 50, 50. Right. Right. So, but if somebody's saying, Hey, three or five grand, you're like, well, that's not bad. Cause that's what I'd pay a dispositions manager or whatever. So, so that, that model works, but on a, uh, uh, bidding online auction kind of situation where you've got a student and he's like bidding around hubs who doesn't know what he's doing is like help I just got a house under contract <laughs> so yeah in a situation like that they're very happy and I got one right now this week where students got a house we're moving it for like 20 grand and they're going to make 10 we're going to make 10 and um, we're not really doing much and they're not really doing much so yeah it really depends on the source of the deal and and, and who, who who the wholesaler is that has it under contract too yeah yeah, that's a great model, man, to build up a, a whole bunch of bird dogs working for you while also having a nice buyer's list. I mean, it, like you said, it's, it gives you an opportunity to just do a heck of a lot more deals that way. Right, yeah. So let's talk about your best deal ever. Obviously, you're doing a high volume. Was it a wholesale deal? Was it a fix and flip? Let's no, hear I mean, it. I, got a ton of, I mean, I got a ton of like really good deals. Like I just closed on a deal about three weeks ago for 209 that I bought for 35000 back in 2009. So that could like really qualify as maybe one of my best deals. But reality was, is that there was a, a, an REO and I purchased it, had as a rental many, many years. So a lot of that deal was price appreciation. So yeah. without counting something like that, I think just turnover in and out, probably one of the deals that we're closing right now on the 28th is basically uh, probably our biggest spread to date, at least on a percentage basis, Okay. I would say, and pretty close on a dollar basis too. Uh, so we got a house under contract for ninety-five thousand in okay. uh, Port St. Lucie, and uh, which is in Florida. Yep. And uh, we put around twenty-five thousand into that house, so into for into it for around one twenty or so, and we listed it at two hundred nine, and we got the house under contract in like five or six days. We had multiple people who were interested in the house, and um, you know, so so on a spread basis, that house is probably going to net about eighty thousand dollars, which considering it was an, only a 95,000 purchase, that's a pretty big- That's amazing. And it's in okay. a very short period of time, in like four months. So let's talk about how did you source a deal in Port St. Lucie for only 95,000? So basically we send out these postcards, you know, so I got, I've actually got one here, I'll show you. So, so we send out postcards like this, right? Oh, cool. To, to, Is that to, you? Is that a picture of you? Yeah, yeah, it's like a caricature of me. It's like I got I've, an artist. I, nice. I saw, let me see straight now. There it is. I got a, a caricature artist and he does these caricatures and I was like, hey, that would be kind of cool if I put something original from just relative to those handwritten index postcards. So basically he just sketched it out and then I just went to our mail house and said, hey, is there any way you could make this into a format? Um, so I actually got another guy to, to, to put it into a template for a postcard and send it to the mail house. And then all they have to do is switch out the phone number on the bottom. So for our call rail tracking, we can you know see which list we mailed or whatever. How, I'm just curious. I've never seen the direct mail piece with the character like that. Does that perform better than some of your other mail pieces? 
You know, so it's interesting. I think it performs better when I'm on the phone, but I don't think it performs better when an acquisitions person is on the phone. So what I mean by that is, is that if somebody calls, and so we have, we have it set up, so we have, it goes to two acquisitions phones, acquisitions manager, and it also rings through to myself. So basically, if I get the call and they say, is this Lex? And I say, yes, it's very, very powerful because there's a direct connect between yep. the, the, the marketing piece and the person on the phone. Yep. And, um, you know, probably the accent doesn't hurt either. Um, it's a sexy and, accent. I'm not going to lie. Man. Right. And then, and then I go after the low hanging fruit principle, you know, so basically I, I'm lazy. I'm not going to go and sit and go out on appointments. So I'm just like, you know, what do you need to get for this house? And then if it looks like it's a low hanging fruit, I'm going to take that down myself. But if it's not, I'm just going to put it into a pipeline. Yeah. Where, you know, lead manager, acquisition manager is going to follow up on it. But um, uh, so, so basically that specific deal was sent to um, an inherited list. So, okay. so basically the lady had inherited a property. Um, her father had passed away. She had two siblings, two brothers. She ironically lived in Port St. Lucie. And um, so I was quite surprised because when I went on the appointment, I figured most of these houses we were fixing and selling for like 180 and we were buying them at around 120 or 125. So most sellers are asking for like, you know, 150 or 160. So when I said, well, how much are you looking to get for this? And she said 100, I was quite surprised. And when I pulled up a comps, I actually saw she sold the house next door, 400 to another wholesaler. So I said, well, I don't know if I can do 100, just like your typical blowback, right? Right. Instead of going, oh my God, this is a great Yeah, deal. right, don't make I it too said, easy. Well, I don't know if I can do 100, but how about 90? And she's like, well, could you do 95? And I said, well, if we buy it today um, and do a contract on it, then, um, then I could do the, the 95. And so, you know, I go once a week up to go and go through, do a rotation on all my rehabs. Mm -hmm. So while I'm up there on those rehabs, if, I've, if I'm going out and if, I, if I'm doing a training for acquisitions people or whatever, I like to, I like to get involved. I like to be in, in the thick of the deals and, and, and you know, know, know what's going on there and, and look, at, look at some of the houses myself. Interesting. So yeah. I'm curious. So you, you got this particular lead off of an inherited list. An inherited list is different than a probate list, right? Yeah. So basically, so you got pre-probate and then probate and then inheritance. So basically, pre-probate is just like somebody died. So those are the cheapest lists to get because a lot of times they just run them off of death records. They can be as, as little as eight or 10 cents, uh, but they don't necessarily have um, real estate attached to them. Then if you cross-reference them with real estate and they become probate files, those can be way more expensive because now you're sending somebody down to the courthouse. And you, you actually know that not only did somebody die, but there's actually real estate attached to this uh, situation. And those are the become the probates. Now, the, when the property actually transfers, right? So uh, it could be on an inheritance, it could be um, post-probate, or it also could be a, a, a situation with a living trust where somebody has a, a living trust or revocable trust and they transfer it to the heirs. And the heirs may have no interest in necessarily keeping that property. So what I find with those deals is that the houses that are in really, really great shape or very, very hard to get at a discount because they can just throw it on the MLS and, and they own it free and clear. There's not a lot of pain. Right. But when the house is trashed, like in this specific case, the, the house had all of the guy's stuff in it. So I said, you know, are you going to leave all the stuff in here or are you going to take this? I said, no, we were planning on just 
you know, taking our, our you know, the pictures and the, and the, and the you know, knickknacks and whatnot, but mostly just leaving it like that. So in a situation like that, they inherently understand like, hey, you know, this house is pretty trash. It's going to be cleaned up. You know, we'll tell them, hey, you know, we got to trash this out. We've got to redo the floors, the kitchens, the bathrooms. Uh, you know, we got to put 30, 35. We'll inflate that number a little bit over what really is. Right. Um, and then kind of work that math backwards and say, look, what do you think we could sell this house for if we put, you know, 30, 35 into it? What do you think we could get? 160? And then we'll just kind of like do the math backwards and say, look, we, we have to make a profit. So the most we could buy it for is X. So um, in this case, you know, that worked, but, but it was a good deal because most of the other deals like this week, we locked up two houses and we got one at 122, we got one at 115. So buying this one at 95, and which is actually a nicer house than the two we locked up this week, um, is about 20, 25,000 less. Wow. Um, you know, so sometimes you just have to go for that low number, you know, because we, I was at a house this week where I thought, wow, it's not a bad house. It's got a pool. I could probably go to 130 and then I was going to go 120. And I thought, I'll just say 115. And the guy thought about it and said, okay, let's do it. You know, so then, then my next instinct was, why didn't like, I say one I shot too high. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You're not yeah. supposed to say yes on the first one. We're supposed to negotiate. Yeah. So she took 95 on this. And then what did you guys end up doing in, into the house to, to bring it up to speed? So basically we put brand new flooring, new kitchens, new bathrooms, new cabinets, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, painted inside and out, basically made everything new, made it look real nice. We were lucky because the roof was in great situation. The, the roof was done like maybe six, seven years ago. So it really looks like a, like a new home. It looks, it, it shows really, really well. And um, all for 25 K that's, yeah. that's a lot of work, man, for 25,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got crews that work pretty, pretty well. You we, must. Do, we can do like a thousand square foot, um, a two, two for as little as 15,000. Just with just new flooring, new wow. kitchens, new cabinets. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cheap. How big was this house? This house was 1300 feet. Okay. Yeah. So not huge, just a ranch, just a typical Florida ranch. Yeah, just a typical three, two with a two car garage, very typical 1980s kind of house. Gotcha. So $25,000 full makeover. And then, uh, then anything special to get the thing sold and on the market? No, I mean, you know, I think one of the key things is that I see rehabbers all the time that skimp on little stuff, like they'll try and keep the old tile. And it's just like really not smart because yeah. they'll go with Formica countertops. And I'd be like, you know, what are you saving? $850, $1,000? Because you really want that, that property to pop. So yeah. one of the mistakes that I see a ton of people making is, is that they don't pay for photos. So they go and they take pictures themselves and they take crappy photos or they rely on the, the realtor to take the photos. So I am a real estate agent. So I list my properties myself. Oh, nice. And I use a company called VHT Photography. And it doesn't cost that much. It's about $235 to get maybe 13, 15 photos taken. And then they use wide angle lenses yep. and we make them go out on a day when there's good weather. So we want blue skies and sunny, so it's not cloudy. And um, then they also have the, the ability to, to Photoshop a little bit to make the pictures look good. Because sometimes there'll be like um, something in a picture that shouldn't be there. Like you don't realize that one of the workers left a can of paint or something. Yep. So, so um, they, 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 the, the goal is to basically put the listing in such a way that it really, really pops. So what we do is we look at where all the other, we go to the open houses and we see where our competition's at. Mm -hmm. And then we look at the comps and we look at the actives. And then we try and price ourselves at a point where we just like right at the entry level of those 
So we don't, you know, the others are trying to price it 20, 30,000 higher. And they're like, we're trying to put it a place where we're just going to get multiple offers yep. immediately. You know, that's, that's the goal. Do you guys stage your properties? No, we don't. Don't need to. We, Maybe we that price tried, point. Well, we've tried staging, but we found that it slowed it down. Some people swear by staging, but for us, you know, I like for a new home buyer who's going to come in, a lot of our home buyers are like FHA, so they're going to come in. You know, they're young married couple, maybe they're 30 years old, 32 years old. Um, they want to envision it the way they want to envision it, you know, so yeah. showing it clean, as long as it smells, you know, good. I mean, you'd be surprised. Sometimes I preview properties and there's just like a bad odor when you come into the house and that can really just turn off a buyer immediately. Totally. Yep. You know, so you have to really pay attention to everything, the, the light, the color, the smell, the sound. It's, there could be like some sound going on, like a, like a ceiling fan or an AC fan that, that needs to be corrected but it can just put people off, you know, so yep. you want it to be a good experience. That's why I don't believe in skimping on the kitchen and the bathroom, you know, I give them nice uh, stainless steel appliances. We do the double, double uh, door fridges uh, with the water makers, you know, we make it look nice. So when they come in and they look at it, they go, Hey, I like this house. Yep. Make an offer on it. I can't agree with you more on the sales side that it really is the experience and it's everything. It starts with the pictures to get them to the house. And then when they walk in, everything has to pop. And you're right, smells, we'll, we'll stack a house with Glade plugins if we have to, to make sure that it doesn't smell like paint or new flooring or whatever, just because it is, it's the entire sensory experience. Right, 100%. Yeah, and, and I, I preach the same thing, but it's professional photography, professional photography, you have to do it if you're going to get lookers to come out to your house. Right. That's spot on. So this thing went on the market and it immediately had multiple offers? It immediately had multiple offers. You know, not every deal goes that way. I mean, speaking of damages on a property, we had one house that was sitting on the market, looked perfect, and it wasn't selling, wasn't selling. We couldn't understand why. And then when I went to the house to check up on the house, I opened the door and I smelled this odor. And I'm like, what is that? And so we started going around the house. It was coming from the garage. So it turned out that the previous owner, he had a pet and he was leaving the pet in the garage. Oh, and no. the pet was peeing up against the garage uh, wall. So I sent a guy in there. I said, you've got to figure out where the smell's coming from. And they had to go in into the garage and cut out all the drywall and, and do a whole bunch of stuff to eliminate the odor and then repaint wow. it and stuff. And then we, take, we took it off the MLS. And then when we put it back on the MLS, multiple offers. So that's a good example of yeah. a little something that can, that yep. can mess, up, uh, you know, mess up a showing. Absolutely can turn people off. So this was a really clean deal for you. I mean, you came in there off a nice inherited list. She, you know, she threw up a low number. You even went lower and then it was a clean rehab, quick sale. How, what can somebody learn from this? Somebody that wants to get in the business or they're in the business and they're not getting nice big spreads. What, what can they take away from this particular deal? Well, I mean, first of all, this is, I'm highlighting like a really, really good deal. Not every deal is good like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so a typical deal, like I said, on wholesale is around 15,000 and on a fix and flip is 25 to 30. So, you know, we're happy on a hundred thousand dollar house. If we can net 25,000, we're yeah. happy with that yeah. on a fix and flip. Uh, this house, I think was just, you know, lined up perfectly and that it was a nice house. It had nice tall vaulted ceilings. It was a situation where we were targeting an inherited list that wasn't being targeted as much as some of the other lists out there, like absentee as an example. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, we, 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 we were lucky with that one. You know, in other words, I don't think that there's anything specific because if you go and look at the previous 10 deals, you know, we had one deal we made 70 on. We had one deal we made 50 on. We had a bunch of deals we made 25 and 30 on. So, and we've had deals we made 17 on. So I think it just really... 
It's just the volume of just putting yeah. stuff down. And I think that's, that's right. the hardest thing for beginners to understand is that I always say to people, if you send 10,000 postcards out and you get 50 calls, you go on 10 appointments and you buy two houses and those two houses make you 15 or $20,000, you just made 30 or 40,000 on a $3,400 mailing. Yep. So the minute that, that conceptualizes and you understand that, that it really works, then all you're going to be doing is thinking of where do I get another list from and, and when am I doing another mailing? Right. Uh, beginners are afraid to do that first mailing. And then if they don't get instant results, they send out a thousand postcards, they don't get instant results. And a lot of them just tend to give up. And that's a mistake. I think it's just a numbers game. And it doesn't matter if you're text marketing, if you're cold calling, if you're sending direct mail, yeah. it's just a numbers game. And you never really know the success of a mail campaign for months and months down the road because it really, the, the deals are in the follow-up, right? A hundred percent. And also I'll tell you something funny is we had a situation where one of our lead managers left in back in July. So we turned down, we dialed down our direct mail marketing because we didn't want to flood the phones. Um, and what was interesting about it is we're buying still the same volume of deals for a few months because yeah. these guys will have the stuff, they'll take a postcard, they'll put it on their fridge or whatever. Um, sometimes they're in a situation where they don't need to sell right now, but then a month later something happens to them, a financial situation or whatever that it causes them to say, hey, let me let me give this guy a call and see what he'll offer me on my house. So I think that it's just consistency and just constantly being out there and constantly being visible. Yes. We, we hit these sellers, you know, the same list. We'll, we'll skip trace it and we'll send text messages to them, postcards to them. We're doing Facebook ads to them and a custom audience. So nice. they see us from multiple angles. Nice. And, and that helps also with branding in your marketplace because then you, you can have a seller that sells you a house and six months later they call you and say, hey, I've got a friend of mine and I, they want to sell their house and you get leads off of that too. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. When it comes down to, to postcard campaigns specifically, consistency is absolutely the key. Just stay at it, stay at it. And then the deals, you know, like you said, you're going to hit a lot of base, base hits and, and singles and doubles. And then occasionally you're going to hit a nice home run like this. It's just yep. going to happen. Yep. Awesome. Lex, thanks so much for coming on and sharing this story with us. Great. I mean, great quintessential postcard deal to an inherited list that made just $80,000. Love it, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, man. Hey, friends, let's talk for just a minute about the market we're in right now. It's tough, right? Deals are hard to come by. The last thing you need is trouble funding a deal once you've done the hard work to source it. Trust me, I get it. I've been at this for 16 years and financing deals is often a huge pain in the rear. So I decided to solve the problem. I launched Red Capital Lending for real estate investors like me and probably like you. The days of paying 12% interest are over. And if it's taking more than a week for your lender to close, you're using the wrong lender. We've built Red Capital Lending for the sole purpose of providing the lowest cost of investment capital possible. I'm talking about interest rates in the sevens. With the highest level of customer service and with the fastest turnarounds, our goal is to provide funding within five days. If you've got a deal coming up and you're ready to save money and avoid the typical hassles associated with most lenders, take a minute and just submit your deal at redcapitallending.com. We'd love to work with you and show you just how easy it can be to fund your next project. Again, redcapitallending.com. Okay, so let's get back to the show, except in this segment, we're going to talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'm with my good buddy, Lex Levengrad. Lex, I want to hear about your worst deal ever. Well, it's funny, you know, Ken, because I was just at an event a few months back, no, maybe six months ago, 
And uh, one of the students challenged me. It's like, you telling me you've never lost money in a deal? I'm like, yeah, I've never lost money in a deal. And that same month, we had a deal that when our, my assistant actually was going through the spreadsheet and adding up all the numbers, she's like, you actually lost money in that house. And I'm like, I did. So this <laughs> was a house. It's interesting because it was kind of like I went away from my model. And it was a very good lesson for me because um, I basically bought a house in an area that I don't normally fix and flip in. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, an area that's much closer to where I live. I live in Boca. This was in Pompano Beach. And I normally do stuff up north. Um, looked like a perfect house. It was the cheapest house in that specific neighborhood. I bought it for 165000 I thought when I bought it that the ROV was going to be around 230 240 and um, fixed it up. I, I made a couple of classic mistakes. So number one, it was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom. So it was not, I didn't have that third Oh, bedroom. yeah. Yep, yep. And then the second thing is, is that... Um, I decided that because it was in pretty good shape, I was going to keep the tile floor. And I can tell you from experience, including this house, that that's always a mistake. Like if you're going to fix a house, yeah. go all the way, just go all in, like do everything new. Because if you try and, and, and leave something like the old tile floor, you think you save yourself two or $3,000, but then that house might sit. So in this specific situation, what happened was we were going to initially turn it over to a student of ours. He came to one of our boot camps and then they kind of backed out. And then we had an inner circle for some coaching students. And we thought, okay, maybe that'll be a good property to showcase there. And then they backed out too. And the price point on this house at, at 165 was a bit higher than the price point on the houses that we often buy. So normally we buy stuff at around 100. This is like 165. So the interest cost and the interest payments were a little higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have an extensive crew the way we have in the areas we normally work on where we've got multiple crews rotating houses so we had to go and look for additional crew and that took some time and then the pricing we got from that crew was higher than the, what we have with our regular crews and um, we had landed up using two or three different people to get the house finished and then when the house was ultimately finished we put it on the market at 229 and then we lowered it to 219 Oof. and we waited what seemed like maybe three months until finally we got a 214 offer, which we took. By the time we added up everything and how long we'd been in the deal, we'd been in the house for like almost a year, like 11 or 12 months. Oof. Yep. And the, the interest cost just yep. ate up all of the profit on the deal. So yep. basically we're paying, you know, interest of like, I think 10% on 165 grand for like 11 or 12 months. And it just wiped out the the margin on that deal and uh when we were done with the house it's like oh pretty good i bought it 165 i sold it like 214 <laughs> i think i still made some money right but my assistant was like no you actually lost money in this house and i'm like are you sure and she showed me the spreadsheet and we had lost like 3800 on it or something so um you know i think go straying from your model is not a good idea because you know yep. your model you know your model well so there were a couple of other things with this house like in this specific neighborhood in in pompano beach a lot of the houses were built in the 50s, and so they're really, really small, like 900 feet. And so they didn't have space to put like the washer and dryer inside the house. So a lot of people put it outside the house or in the carport. So oh, yeah. when we fixed the house up and one of the buyers came and I said, so where is the wash and dryer hookup? And we're like, huh, where is the wash and dryer hookup? Because we weren't used to working on houses in this neighborhood. And the, in the neighborhood we work in, all the houses were built in the 80s and they all standard have a washer and dryer hookup inside the house. So just little differences yeah. like that 
uh, made a big difference in the house being able to be moved because you know somebody wants to buy a house they don't want to go outside to do the laundry they want to do it inside the house sure yeah it's logical and obvious you know you think after doing a thousand deals then right. you would know that but i had to have that house teach me that lesson so um i would i would definitely characterize that deal as probably my worst deal and now people say hey i got a deal for you in, in bumping i'm like no you're like no thanks well, it's like you said, it's a two-one in a different market. You know, it's a for a different price point. It's funny. There is a common theme with the worst deal ever, and it's almost always when somebody steps out of their normal model to try something different. It's right. they get stung. Yeah, and I and I know from a lot of my associates and stuff is that sometimes people will stretch and they'll go for that really big deal and be like, you know, forget making thirty, forty grand. Let's just really big house and we can make like one hundred and twenty, and then those are the houses that turn into into losses sometimes because people yep. forget. You know, you're borrowing $100,000 at 10%, it's 10,000 a year in interest. You're borrowing 400,000 at 10%, it's 40,000 a year in interest. And it really, really adds up. And if things go wrong and the rehab takes too long, yep. um, or the repairs are, are higher than anticipated, stuff like that can eat you up real quick. And that's why yep. when, I, when I teach people to do fix and flips, I want them to be in a really affordable entry-level home. I take whatever the medium price is for that county. And I say, you should be buying a house that you're planning on selling for no more than 70% of the median price of your county. In other words, pick the lower yeah. price inquiry, but just in decent neighborhoods, you know, like stay away from the war zones. Yep, yep, you're 100% right. There's, it's the, I mean, the market for people in an entry level, you know, pricing is so much bigger than anything above your median. I mean, it gets smaller drastically really quick. It really does, it really does. And I think it's because of all the FHA buyers because, yep. hey, you can buy a house for three and a half percent down, Worst case scenario, the seller's going to say, I need a 3% credit. So they're basically buying the house for almost no money down. Yep. So all you have to do is fix it up and make it nice for them. And then, you know, if it appraises, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other good thing too, in that price point is if for some reason it doesn't sell, you can usually rent it and cover your nut if you had to. It's a great backup plan. Right. So that's what I always do. I always look at like the plan B, like what could yeah. go wrong. So what if I put it in the market, it doesn't sell? What if I put it in the market and the market starts declining? So knowing that I'm in that entry-level market, that I can always rent this house out for 1300 and my payments, uh, you know, I just did a, uh, I've got a house now, I just did a 15-year mortgage at 3%. My payment 700 is rented for 1300 So worst case, you, you just rent it and you're positive cash flow and they're easy to rent because they're fixed up real nice. So, right, yeah. You know, the minute you go above that into like the higher price market, that's when you can start getting yourself to, in, into trouble. You want to rent a house for 2,500 or three grand a month? Well, guess what? Now a lot of people can't afford that. Yep, yep, exactly right. Mm -hmm. Lex, this is a, another good lesson that, you know, all of us that are in this business have to learn at some point in time, stay in your lane, right? Exactly, 100%. <laughs> Lex, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Ken. All right, talk soon. Hey, Deal Farm listeners. If you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the Best Deal Ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. Wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. And whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.